notes it really is. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I worry more about a note or I worry more about a song or whatever. I worry more about other things than what worship really is all about. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 10. We will begin, we will begin reading in verse 1. The book of Acts, chapter 10, and verse 1. When you got it, say so. I'll wait. The book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter, for he is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you because it is truth. We thank you because it sets us free. We thank you because it illuminates us. It aligns us with your will and your heart. It gives us the ability to know, Lord God, what you desire for and from us. And so God... We humble our hearts before you today, and we ask you to speak to us, dear Lord. We ask you to open our ears. We ask you to soften our hearts. We ask you to empower us by faith, Lord God, to live out the truth of your word and to be those witnesses you've called us to be. God, we thank you for this, and we ask you all this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> so this morning, we're continuing on in the book of Acts. And this chapter, so up to this part, for those of you that may be your first time here, or even for, for those of us that have been here for the last few weeks, so far we've seen the power of the gospel in Jerusalem, we've seen the power of the gospel in Samaria, and now we will see the power of the gospel being preached to just pure Gentiles. And when we talk about Gentiles, we are talking about those people who are not Jewish by birth. We're talking about those people who, who in, those, in these days, they didn't have a right to God, so to speak, because um, they weren't of the line of Abraham. And so since they weren't of those, that, that covenant, then they had to do like Cornelius, which was he was a Gentile. And so he could come into the, into, into the Gentile court. He couldn't go into the deeper part of the sanctuary, but he'd come into the Gentile court, offer offerings, but he wasn't a covenant person. And so what happens is, if you remember, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's talking to them earlier in the book of Acts, and he tells them, you're going to be my witness in Samaria and Judea and Jerusalem and to all of the world. And so it's a progression. And what happens is God is communicating to them that what you will begin to do is you will begin to preach the gospel at home. You'll begin to preach the gospel to the people of covenant that are there. You're going to preach to them, but you're going to move from there. You're going to move out. And then when you move further, you're going to start to preach to people that are, you know, these people from Samaria, they're the 
ones that they're half Jewish, half not. And so then you get to those people, and once you're done preaching there, then you need to move on and preach to the rest of the world. This chapter is very significant, first of all, because it marks around the 10-year mark. And so while we may not realize it, we may not see this because we're reading through like over on chapter 10, we don't realize how many years have passed from chapter 1 to chapter 10, but there's about 10 years that have already passed. So the church is not in its baby stage. The church is about as old as us at this time. The church is at at a 10-year mark, and this is the time when the gospel is going to be preached unto the Gentiles for the first time completely, and the apostles are going to affirm that. Also what happens is this is the final group of people who need to hear the gospel and receive salvation from Jesus, for Jesus' command to his disciples in Acts 1 to be fulfilled. So they preach in Jerusalem, they preach in Judea, they preach in Samaria, now they're going to preach to Gentiles and the gospel is going to go to all of the world. This chapter shows us God's plan to offer salvation equally to all mankind. That's very important. It shows us that God is no respecter of persons and that all of us, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our generosity, no matter our morality, no matter our religious background, no matter what, that even if we fear God, we equally and desperately need the gospel. That's the, that's, the, that's the big idea in this whole chapter. This is what strikes my heart when I read this chapter, and we'll look at that in a moment. And that's the title of the message this morning, The Need for the Gospel. The Need for the Gospel. And I want to say this because when, when I was meditating on the scriptures and I looked at Cornelius' life and I thought about, you know, some of those questions that people come up with. Well, what about, you know, the person who's over in a jungle where there's no TV, there's no radio, and they haven't heard the gospel? Are they going to heaven or hell? And here's my answer to you on that. Wherever a true fear of God exists, God will reveal his plan of salvation. Wherever there is a fear of God that exists, whenever there is someone who is truly seeking to know God, to know the God of creation, whenever that happens, God is going to find a way. And let me explain it to you like this. We are the ones whom God wants to raise up to go preach to those people who don't have TV. Hello, somebody. To go preach it all, even to the people who may have TV, he still wants to go preach to them. Glory to God. And so the thing is, we have to be understanding that we need to preach that. But here's, well, here's what happens to us. We get stuck there on that person that is somewhere else. And well, what about them? Because our whole argument comes from this place. We want to try to get to heaven without Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? We want to try to get to heaven without the gospel. We want to try to get to heaven apart from us repenting of sin. We want to try to get to heaven. So what we do is we come up with all of these ideas so we can justify why, well, I really don't have to follow. Hold on a second. Now, now I want to come back home because we're home here, right here, glory to God. You are not somewhere where there's no TV, where there's no preaching of the gospel. Hello. Are you hearing me? Don't get stuck on them because guess what? They're going to be accountable to God. And you know what? If God, and I'm going to say this. I don't believe that this will happen. I'm just going to say this hypothetically. But if God left people that had a fear of him and that had you know, a, a desire to really know him, if he left them without the gospel, that would be between him and them, and he'd figure that all out. Amen? I don't think that would happen, but if it happened. But here's the point. That ain't happening to you. Are you hearing me? That's not happening to the people you're talking to when you're sharing the gospel. They are hearing the gospel from you. Therefore, they are, and just as you and I are, accountable to what? The message that we have heard. 
We are accountable to the gospel that has been preached to us. And so it is very, very important that we don't get lost in, in, in a place where we are not at, but that we consider what we are hearing. And so in this story here, that, or this history of the church, we see this person by the name of Cornelius. And we'll look at him in verse 1 through 23. We see some powerful stuff here, but I want you to repeat this after me. This will be the first point. Say, God prepares, God prepares. the ground as well as the sower. God prepares the ground as well as the sower. In chapter 10, beginning here, you see this man by the name of Cornelius. And we see in, in between verses 1 and, and 23, we see two people being prepared for this encounter. We see Cornelius being prepared first, and then the second person we see being prepared, who we would think he is prepared because you know, he's an apostle, and yet he needed some extra preparation. And so he needed to experience something from God, hear some things from God. And so the first part we look at is Cornelius and his preparation. It says this, it says in verse 1, we're going to read, through, read, read from verse 1, we'll read down to verse 8. Again, it says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, so he was a man of power. He was a devout man. That means he was a man that was devoted to religious things. He was a man who feared God. That's pretty self-explanatory. With all of his household. So that means that he was not just one who feared God for himself, but he communicated the truth that he had, that he had a hold of to his household. So that means he was a righteous family leader. He was one who gave alms generously to all the people. So he was generous. And then it says, and prayed to God always. So we have a man who was powerful. We have a man who was devoted to religious things. We have a man who was God-fearing. And mind you, this is the inspired word of God. So we can trust what this is saying about him. We have a man who feared God. We have a man who was a righteous family leader. We have a man who was generous. And we have a man of prayer. If, if this does not describe what a true man of God is, I don't know what does. I, w- I want you to get this. We want every man of God in this place, every, if you're a man in this place, raise your hand if you're a man. Raise your hand, come on, raise it up high, loud, proud, proud, glory. I'm a man, glory to God, all right? If you are a man in this place, okay, not, and, and women, I'm not excluding you, I'm just making a point. If you're a man in this place, you should look at Cornelius' life right here, and you should say, man, that's the kind of guy that I want to be. That's the kind of guy that I want to be. I want to be a guy that fears God. I want to be a guy that has a good job, amen, glory to God. He had a good job, you know. I mean, you don't necessarily need to be a centurion, but nonetheless, he had a good job. He had, he had a good position, right? He was able to provide for his family. We want men to be like that. We want men to be those who are just like him, that they are devoted to the things of God. We want you to be like that, amen? We want, I mean, when we preach, we teach. That's what we want. We want you to be devoted to Jesus. We want you to be devoted to the scriptures. We want you, and, and, and we want you to fear God. We, if you have a family, we want you to lead your family in righteousness. We want you to be generous because God bless you with a good job. Amen. Hallelujah. We want you to be generous. We want you to be a person who cares about the things of God, cares about the people of God. We want you to care about those type of things. We want you to be a man who is a man of prayer. So what am I saying to you? What I'm saying to you is that everything that I would want for any man in here, Cornelius already was. He was already all of those things. So doesn't that mean he's all of that? Shouldn't he be able to go to heaven? I want you to notice this. I want you to notice that he was all of those things, and God sends an angel to say, listen, you need to hear another message. 
You, you, you got all this stuff in line, and you know what? As a matter of fact, it goes on to say there, it says that your, your giving and your prayers have been remembered in heaven. In other words, God is seeing the sincerity of this guy's heart. God is seeing his desire to want to do what? To want to serve God and be faithful. He's seeing that. And God says, okay, I see all of those things. Now you got to hear this message, and how are you going to respond to this message? Are you going to say, well, I'm good enough? I'm good enough. I don't need anything else. So we see the first guy that's being prepared. He needs the gospel. Now, you, now we're going to look over at Peter. So we'll look down at verse 9. Verse 9 says this. It says, The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So you see, Cornelius is a man of prayer. Peter's a man of prayer. The Bible says, Then he became very hungry. So Peter was hungry. Cornelius was fasting. I don't know. Glory to God. One of them seemed to be more righteous than the other. I'm just kidding. Hunger is not a sin, okay? Gluttony is. But anyway, um, so he was, so he became very hungry, right? So he gets hungry. He wanted to eat. Food wasn't ready yet. While he was ready, while, while, but while they made ready, while the food was being cooked, he fell into a trance. The dude was really hungry. I'm saying I've never been that hungry where I, like, fell into a trance. I think I've been that hungry I might have fell asleep, but not, you know, fell into a trance. Anyway, so Peter is there, falls into a trance, right? And in this, he's getting this revelation from God. And all jokes aside, God was the one who put him in this position, and that way he could get this revelation. And he saw heaven open up, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the, of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now this is the voice of God. This is God speaking to Peter. But Peter says, not so, Lord. I, Peter is crazy. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm like thinking, I'm thinking like if I'm in prayer and I hear a voice, I'm not going to be like, no. Right? I'm not going to be like, no, I don't think so. This, that, listen, in today's vernacular, that's what Peter was saying. He's like, no, I don't think so, man. That's, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, not so, Lord. And he goes on to say why. This, this, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. He's like, I'm, I'm more holy than that. So in God's faith, Peter, Peter has some issues. Amen? Hallelujah. So he, he, go, he says this to him, verse 15, he says, And a voice spoke to him again a second time, the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what was this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had, who had been sent from Cornelius had made their inquiry to Simon's house, and uh, for Simon's house and stood before the gate and they came and called and asked whether Simon whose surname was Peter was lodging there while Peter brought while, while Peter thought about the vision the spirit said to him behold three men are seeking you arise therefore go down and go with them doubting nothing for I have sent them then Peter went down to them who had, who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged, and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And so the first one that we see here, as we see Cornelius being prepared for this vision. He is the ground that is about to receive the seed of God's word and his gospel. Remember, we're talking about the need for the gospel. Peter's preparation was a little bit different. While God was responding to the sincerity of Cornelius, he was liberating Peter from his bigotry. 
See, and this is good for us because we see one man who God is remembering because of his righteousness. He's not saying that he's accepted in, in, in the way like he's justified and saved. I think it's a little warm in here. You might want to lower the AC a little bit. Amen. Hallelujah. I see, I see a lot of fans going on. I don't know. I got nervous. I'm like, you know, I, I never see so many fans. Usually we're like freezing, right? So but it's, it's all right. Lynn, you're doing a great job. We appreciate you. Peter, Peter is different. Cornelius, righteous man, doing right things, doing the things that he's called to do. He's, 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 you know, everything that he knows about God, you know, he's coming, he's fasting, praying, seeking God. Peter, on the other hand, he's walked with Jesus for these three years, right? Had this relationship with Jesus just 13 years later, and God is still dealing with his heart on his issues. Notice that. 13. See, some of y'all think, man, I've been saved for the... Listen, if, if Peter is an apostle, glory to God. This is a guy that walked with Jesus for three years. I know that none of us have arrived after 5, 10, 15 years of being a Christian. We all have issues. That's why we need to continually ask like David did. Lord, search my heart. Know me. Show me what is wrong in me. Because up until this point, Peter's thinking he's doing it all right. He's laying hands on people. They're getting filled with the Holy Ghost. He's walking down the road. People want to put you know, um, sick people in his shadow. I mean, Peter is there making decisions for the church, leading the church the way that he's called. All of this is occurring, amen? And it looks like he's, a, he's, he's an amazing man of God, and yet he has some issues in his heart. He's got some things he's like, wait a second, he's still looking at things from the wrong perspective. And so God is saying, I need you to go and preach the gospel to these people who you call unclean. And we're going to see the story as we continue reading on because he tells him that. He's going, he's going to tell it straight up. You know, it's unlawful for me to be hanging out with y'all. That's what his mindset is, and this is what he thinks. And so what God is doing is God is preparing Cornelius to receive the word, and he's preparing Peter to go and preach the word because here's what will happen. Peter will go over there with the wrong mindset, and he won't preach to them the way that he's supposed to. He'll communicate the wrong message, a message that is legalistic rather than a message that is liberating for them. So he's communicating to them and saying, look, don't call those things unclean that, I have, that I've called clean, that I've said. That I, and really what God is saying is he's, these are the people that I want you to communicate my gospel with. These are the people that I want you to preach my gospel to. And so we, go, we, we look at Peter, and he gets his preparation over here. As those, and I want to encourage you in this way, and the reason why this story becomes so beautiful is because you as a Christian, if you're a Christian in this place, you are a person who should be praying to God and talking to God about your relationship with him and about your mission with him. Not for him, with him. Where you are on mission with him. You should be praying to him about those people that don't know Jesus. You should be talking to him about your co-workers that don't know Jesus, your neighbors that don't know Jesus, your, your peers in school that don't know. You should be talking to God about them. And here's what should be happening. Is that in your heart, a burden should be happening in there about those people that don't know Jesus. Because as you get to know him better, and as you understand that eternity is a long time, and anyone who dies without knowing Jesus, guess what? Unfortunately, they will be separated from him for all of eternity that is scary that is weighty and that is heavy and that is something that should burden our hearts not because we are the savior but because we are the messengers who carry the word of deliverance for their lives 
We should realize, see, see, here's the thing that happens today. Today, we don't really have like this urgency in our hearts, whether it's the person who doesn't know Jesus or the people who do know Jesus. There is not a burden that is breaking you and letting you understand, wait a second, if I don't preach the gospel, if I don't share the gospel, if I don't communicate the gospel of Jesus with these people and they don't respond, I mean, the Bible makes it clear, how will they know unless someone preaches to them? And so there should be something that goes on inside of us. There should be something that is happening within me as a believer that says, wait a second, there's some urgency because when the Bible says that, you know, tomorrow's not promised to anyone, that means what it says. So that person that you're thinking, you know what, I'll preach to them tomorrow. What about if tomorrow never comes for them? What about if tomorrow never comes for them? What about if you don't, you know, I, I remember going to school when I, when I was in middle school, and I remember I hung out with this guy you know, on a Friday or whatever, and, you know, we were hanging out, everything was cool. I wasn't a, I wasn't a believer back then, and so, you know, I, I felt different. But here's the thing. We, we, were, we hung out on that Friday or, or the week before, and what happened was when Monday came, there was an announcement that came over the speaker that said this particular person had committed suicide over the weekend. Now, listen, why do I say that? I say that because we need to understand tomorrow is really not promised to anyone. Tomorrow is not promised to us in here. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. The, the, the truth is that we should have an urgency. There's the urgency there. But then there is also the urgency of the person who doesn't know Jesus. And so if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, tomorrow's not promised to you. And I don't say that flippantly, but tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. Just last Thursday, I had the, I had the privilege of doing a funeral for a woman. She was 48 years old. 48 years old. And you know, you know how she passed away? She went into the hospital to have a surgery done. She had some kind of infection in her, in her intestines, and when she went in there to have this surgery, she never came back. Do you think she had plans? When I was sharing in, 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 in the memorial service, I said, you know, Denise, her name was Denise, I said, Denise had plans. Just like everyone else in this room, like most of y'all are like, okay, hurry up, because my plan is to go eat lunch. Right? You, 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 you got that plan on lock, glory to God. All right? So, so, some of you have plans, right? You know, some of you are like, I'm going to go eat lunch, and then I'm going to go to this baptism that's going to happen later on. You know, so, so we have plans. You know, some of you, you got, you, if, if you open up, you know, if you do your accounting on your phone like most people do, I bet you go on there, you got appointments set, you know, maybe for like the end of the end. Wait, wait a second. We all have plans because we just assume we're going to get there. Really? But there's no guarantee. There's no, the book of James says it like this. It, it, it makes it very clear to us. It says, you know, this one boasts and he says, I'm going to go to this such and such a city. I'm going to buy and sell and trade there. And I'm going to do all of these good things. And he's like, you don't, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Like what you, what you should say is if the Lord wills, that's what's going to happen. See, you know, you know the, the, the Hispanics, they have that thing. Si Dios quiere. Right? <laughs> And that's just English saying, if the Lord wills, you know what I'm saying? And, and I, I don't say that, you know, see, okay, the first of all, I don't talk a lot of Spanish, but the point is, um, you know, there, there's just certain things that they, they're, they're kind of legalistic, you know, or, or, or not, not legalistic, they're traditional, right? They just say them, but they have some meaning, right? You know, they, they, they always say that. And, you know, me, because I don't say that because a lot of times people take that as a scapegoat. Well, I guess the Lord didn't want me to be there. Hold on a second. 
That's talking about if you die. Hello, glory to God. See, see that, that, that's what they get it twisted. It's, that, that's what that scripture is talking about. If the Lord wills. Are y'all with me now? So see, see, your quiere, if the Lord wants, that takes a totally different meaning. So if you're still alive, I guess God wanted to. You just didn't. Mm-hmm, glory to God. You, you, you didn't want to be there. That's how it was. You know that. Uh, amen. Amen. Okay. So we have to make, we, <laughs> glory to God. We have to have an urgency about preaching the gospel. And if we don't know Jesus, today is the day that you want to know him. Amen? Amen. The second thing that I will have you repeat after me say, Jesus is is. always the answer. answer. Jesus is always the answer. Look at verse 24. It says this. It says, and the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together. His, his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I just want to take a moment to pause there. You see what he says here? What he's talking about, when, you, when we look back at the vision that Peter had, we look at it, it has to do with food and stuff. We're thinking, oh, well, you know, God was cleansing food. That's not what was happening there. Okay, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a whole dietary guy. You know, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. That's not my point. My point is, contextually, what God was doing here was he was dealing with not the foods that were there. He was dealing with humanity. He was dealing with Peter's bigotry not towards food but towards people. The way that he looked at people. You know, there, there, there was a racial thing that was there. There was something that, you know, was I was better than. And so what he says is he's given the revelation of what this, this whole vision was about. And so he says that I shouldn't call any man unclean or common. It goes on in verse 29. It says, therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea where he comes. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and, and you have done well to come. Now therefore we are all present before you to hear all the things commanded you by God. So notice what Cornelius does. Remember he was prepared. This man is righteous. You know, he's not, he, he didn't come here. I love his heart. His heart wasn't, come and tell us how good we are. Come and tell us, you know, that we're okay. Come and tell us that we can go to the deeper part of the temple. It isn't what he says. His heart is, we want to hear what God commands. We want to hear what God requires. We want to hear what God has to say to us, which is the way that we should come with our heart before God, and that way we can hear from him and respond to him in faith. Go to verse 34 there with me. It goes on to say this. It says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation... Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. 
It says, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he had both in the land of the Jews, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. The first thing that I want to say is this. In the beginning of the story, you see when Peter walks in, remember the point here is Jesus is always the answer. When Peter walks into the door, what does Cornelius do? Cornelius is a righteous man. Cornelius is one who's been praying. He just had an encounter with an angel of God. And so he is, you know, he's not some person who is just looking for someone to worship. But when Peter walks in the door, he's so humbled because he's so overwhelmed with this experience that he bows down and he begins to worship Peter. When he begins to worship Peter, Peter's like, dude, get up. He said, I'm a man just like you. You don't need to worship me. Now, why does this become so important for us? First of all, it is because our goal is to image Jesus well. Amen? Our goal as Christians is to be the reflection of Christ. It is to be those who image him. It is to be those that when other people see us in our lives, that they see Jesus. And what I mean by this is that they don't literally see Jesus. They see the character. They see the attributes. So when they look at me, and how do they see Jesus? I'm going to tell you how. It's not just because you walk like Jesus. Hello. How did Jesus walk? I have no clue. Did he limp? I don't know. But here's the point. What I do know is this. I know what Jesus commanded. That's how we walk. That's how we live out the gospel. So this is how people see Jesus. When I love my wife and I treat her the way I'm supposed to, they see Jesus. When my wife honors and respects me, they see Jesus. When I treat my kids the way that I'm supposed to, I discipline them and I am am, am helping them to grow the way that they should, they see Jesus. When I'm an employee that is arriving at to work on time, hello somebody. When I am not entering into the gossip that is going on all around, you know, on break time or whatever it is, when I'm not engaging in that stuff, when I'm there trying to be a, and, and, and I, hate, I hate to even say this, but when, when I'm there trying to be that positive influence, and, I, and the reason why I hate to say that, because I don't want to just water it down, because you're not there just to be a positive influence, just walk around with a smile on your face all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. But to be a person who is willing to lovingly communicate the truth that can liberate people, that's what we're, we're there to be able to do. When they see those things, when they see my work ethic, not just arriving to work on time, but working hard, doing everything as unto the Lord. When they see all of these things, when I'm in school, for those of you that are still in school, when people see you and the way that you, you know, you, you do your homework, you're not, you know, back-mouthing teachers, you know, all that good stuff, hello, somebody, right? When they see all of that, that's when they see Jesus. But here's what will happen to us sometimes, and this is why this is so important for us to realize we always need to make sure that we are pointing to him, because while we must image him well, we must never allow ourselves to be seen as anything other than a sinner who is saved by grace, who is living by grace, and who is living for the glory of Jesus. 
Because what can happen is, is when I become that, you know, that go-to person, right? You know, we, we've talked about this before. You know, you be that person who continues to be the light and the salt in your workplace, the light and the salt in your neighborhood. I told you about my neighbor that... He got, he, got, he got diagnosed with cancer, and he, and he hunted me down. Him and I have never really had a conversation about the gospel. He knew that I was a Christian, and he, and, and he hunted me down into my garage one day. He, was, he came in there, and he said, listen, will you pray for me? Because, you know, this situation came up. And so the point is, what happens to us is that, you know, we become that person that is a true Christian, that is living for Jesus, and then, you know, they come to us when they need prayer, or they come to us when they need counsel, and we always seem to have the right answer, right? And, and, and so they, they always they keep coming back. They, keep, they, they got a question. They come back to us. Why? Because we, get, we gave him a good answer. And so we continue to have this and we seem to be that person. And what happens is we can easily, and I, and I, I listen, I, I can only talk about me. I can't talk about you. But I know that it is real easy to feel really good about yourself. You start to feel real good about yourself because people, they see Jesus in me. Right? And sometimes we forget we got to point them back to Jesus. Because they don't necessarily have, and, and, and we need counsel from one another, amen. amen. We need each other, all that, yeah. But here's the thing, they can go to Jesus with a lot of that stuff. They don't need me to pray for them, they can pray for themselves, right? But they have to know Jesus. So the first thing is, we make sure that we're pointing to him. The second thing is this, I love this verse here because it gives us, when, when you look at it in verse 35, and we'll, we'll read verse 34 because it brings it into context of what Peter's saying. But Peter, he begins, to, he begins to open his mouth. He's going to start preaching now. When he gets ready to preach this message to them, he says to them, But Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. God is not a respecter of persons. God sees me just like he sees you. That's, that, that, that's what Peter is, 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 is starting his message with. And the next thing that he says there, But in every nation, remember this is about him bringing in Everyone saying, hey, you can all hear the gospel. You can all be saved. So he communicates here, and he says, in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now listen, don't get confused with that word accepted. That word accepted is not saying you're cool with God because you fear him, right, and you work righteousness. That's what, that, that's what Cornelius was. He feared God, and he worked righteousness, but he still needed Jesus. That word accepted here is more, is more and, and when you look it up in its uses throughout the, the New Testament, there's about five other times that it is used. And what it's saying is they're welcomed. They're someone who God pursues. What happens is they're not just, they didn't say the word justified. Say, say justified. justified. Listen, justified is different than accepted. Justified means I no longer see your sin. Justified means I no longer see your old way of being. That's what justified means. Accepted, not the same thing. Accepted means I've seen your heart. I've looked at you asking questions about me. I've seen you asking your friends about me. I've seen, I've seen all of those things. And so what I'm doing is I'm allowing you to come after me. I'm empowering you to come after me because of what? Because I want to save you. I'm empowering you to do those righteous acts and to continue to desire to serve me because I want you to come after me and I want to reveal to you my son. And that way you don't try to earn your way into heaven, but you embrace my way into heaven. 
And so this is what, is, what, what, what happens here, and that's why Jesus is always the answer. Notice when he preaches this message here, you know, he doesn't get like, you know, he, he talks about Jesus, and at the end, when he, when, he, when he says in verse 42, at the end of the message, he says, and he commands us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he, meaning God, who has ordained, who, who was, or meaning Jesus, who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. And so we look at this message. When you read it, you might miss the bad news part of the message. That's the bad news. He's talking about judgment. What did Pastor Robert say today when we were doing communion? He said, listen, don't call judgment upon yourself early. Why? Because the fact of the matter is we will all stand before God in judgment. Every one of us will stand before God in judgment. And there's two different types of judgment. There's the one judgment that is for those who don't know God. Those are the ones who will be sent to the eternal lake of fire. That's one judgment. Then there's the other judgment. For those of you who have bowed your knee to Jesus, for those of you that have put your faith in Jesus, for those of us that have said, Jesus, you are Lord, you are Savior, not just said it with our mouths, but we live our life like that, there's a different kind of judgment. You're not going to be judged about the bad or the good, you know, the bad things that you've done. You are going to be judged based on your works. You're going to stand before him, and he's going to look at everything that you've done in your life, and he's going to say, these are good works, and these things you're going to be rewarded for. These are works that were not good. Those things will be consumed. It's a different type of judgment. It's not a judgment to try to earn your salvation or prove how righteous you are. That's not what that is for us if you're a believer. But if you don't know Jesus, you should fear the judgment because what the Scripture says here is he says, look, everyone is going to be judged. But then he says in verse 43, the good news, he says to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in his name will receive remission or forgiveness of sins. All the prophets were saying, talking about Jesus, they were pointing to him, and they were saying, he is the ultimate sacrifice. And when you put faith in his name, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And now guess what? You can have a hope of eternity with him. You don't have to depend on your own works, your own ability, your own righteousness, none of that. You have faith in him, and you're good. And that faith changes your life. Because here's the bad thing about that word faith. The bad thing is that we water it down. And we say, you know, Minister Juan, he was sending, he, he sent me something that was in a, in a Bible that was, um, it was a commentary that was in a Bible. And I won't get into all of the details about the commentary. But the commentary was basically just communicating how all you need is a relationship with God and you're good. Doesn't that sound right? Yes? No? Maybe so? I don't, does that, yes? Yes? Sounds right? Yeah? I think it sounds right. Right? You need a relationship with God. But here was the problem. When you look at the whole commentary, it was talking about all you need is a relationship with God, but your life doesn't necessarily change. Now, that's wrong. Because here's the problem. Sin separates me from a relationship with God. So if I put my faith in Jesus and continue to live in sin, there's a problem. Hello? There was an issue. Something has to give. Either I really put, see, when I put my faith in him, when I really trust him. See, the cross doesn't just offer me forgiveness from sin. It offers me freedom from sin. It doesn't just say you are forgiven, go on and continue sinning. That's not what Jesus ever said. Whenever he communicated to someone that was living in sin, Jesus said to them, go your way and sin no more. That's what Jesus communicates. And on the other side of the cross, that's why he was on the earth. On the other side of the cross, nothing changes except this, that those people weren't filled with the Holy Spirit the moment after they put their faith in Jesus. We are. 
And so we are granted this grace to do what? To live out the commandments of God. To live out the purposes of God. And so it is about putting faith in Jesus. It is about trusting him. Say this third thing with me, please, and I'm getting ready to close. It says, say the Holy Spirit Spirit. is an active participant in gospel work. In verse 44, it says this. It said, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay with them a few days. Just as Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power for good works and healing, so he has anointed us with the same and given us a message to proclaim. The same way that this scripture says Jesus, in the beginning of his preaching, he said how God, in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That is a testimony of Jesus, and my brothers and sisters, that is what God wants us to understand as well. is the same way he anointed Jesus, he's anointed you if you're a believer. The same way the Holy Spirit was with Jesus, in Jesus, the same way that he is in us and with us. For the purpose of bringing salvation to those who don't know him. Because words alone, powerless. But when the Holy Spirit convicts a heart, that is when we're able to see change in lives. Jesus has called us. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings the change that the gospel promises. We must become more sensitive to, more obedient to, more aware of the work and the leading of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit brings the change that the gospel promises. It is the Spirit of God that when I preach the gospel, when you preach the gospel, when you share with someone, it is His Spirit that brings change to hearts. It is His Spirit that brings the change. The cross promises transformation. The cross promises healing of broken hearts. The cross promises liberation from all of those things that have happened that were sins against you. The cross promises that, but it is the Spirit of God that makes it possible. It is the Holy Spirit that does it. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us courage and gives us boldness to preach. And so we as his people, when we look at these scriptures here, you know, we kind of just read through the scriptures and don't meditate on them as we should. And don't sit there and really get down and be like, God, am I being sensitive to you? Am I being sensitive to your spirit? Am I being sensitive to your direction? Am I being sensitive to your leading? Am I being sensitive? Because as I said in the beginning, what was happening was the spirit of God was preparing Cornelius to receive the gospel. And the spirit of God was preparing Peter to preach the gospel. Both of them were being prepared and both of them had to respond. And so me as a Christian, I have to have that mindset and that understanding that God wants to do amazing things in the lives of so many people. It's not by might nor by power, but it is by his spirit. It's by his spirit that those things are done. When we look at this this scripture here, why is this baptism so significant? 
We've seen a couple of other baptisms in the Holy Spirit that are, that are, that are recorded in the upper room. We see the other one when the, when, when the disciples were praying and the other ones when, they were, when, 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 when um, the Samaritans believed the laying on of hands when Philip was preaching. We see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why is it so important? Because remember what I said. The Jewish people that were in Jerusalem, they received the baptism. That was a sign those people were saved. The next group of people that received that baptism in a, in a saving manner were the, were, were the Samaritans. That was a sign that they were accepted by God. The Holy Spirit came. And the third time that we see this here in a group of people in a saving manner was over the Gentiles. And what God was saying is he was confirming their faith. He was confirming their faith in the message. This is what I love about the scriptures. Because we try to put formulas on all kinds of stuff like how do we do this, how do we do that. But I want you to look at, just read this with me. I, I want you to look at this with me because this is awesome. When you read this, and I want you to see what happened to make this other thing happen. In verse 43, it says, it says, like, or in verse 42, it says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Now, we pause, right, because in some of your Bibles, there's another heading there or whatever. We pause for a moment. But if you keep reading and you don't pause there, it says this. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. I love that. Why? Because where was the moment that they said a prayer? Where was that moment? Where was the moment before they heard the word of God and they had to do something else before they did something else? What is it that triggered the Holy Spirit to come? What is it that made that happen? Listen, the only thing that we can say is that what Peter was communicating was a message, and if God moved, it was because their hearts were moving. It is because they believed in their heart. It is because there was faith that rose up. There wasn't some secret formula. There was, what, what happened was they believed, and the Holy Spirit confirmed their faith. That's all that happened. That is all that happened. And so for us, this is the biggest question for me. I mean, seriously. Do you believe? Do you believe? As a Christian, do you believe the gospel? As a non-Christian, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Not, I didn't say know the gospel. I said, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that the, what the Bible says? Remember, we talk about the gospel. You believe that God is holy. He is righteous. He is, he is in control of all things. He, do you believe that? Not just know that. No, no, no. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that while God is holy, God is righteous, that you are a sinner? Do you believe that? Do you believe? I mean, seriously, do you believe it? Or, you know, he's a sinner, not me. I know some sinners, but not me, right? No, no, no. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are, and a sinner is a person who's a lawbreaker of God. Do you also believe that because of that sin, you are separated from God? And that no matter what you do, no matter how good you are, no matter how righteous you may be, none of that is going to save you. But all of that falls short of what God's standards are. Do you believe that? Do you, do you really believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is not, the only, is not just the only way to heaven, but he is the only way to real life? Do you believe that? 
Do you really? I mean, do you really understand that if you die because God is holy, God is in control of all things, because I'm a sinner, and because of that, I will die. And when I die, I will, I will go to one of two places. If I don't know him, I spend eternity in hell. That's real. Do you believe that? But because of what Jesus has done, I don't have to fear hell. I don't have to fear an eternal judgment because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus died, I can now have new hope. See, that's a beautiful thing. See, the bad news is that if I die without him, I go to hell. The good news is that if I put my faith in him today, I never have to think about hell again for myself, only for others who don't know him. That's a beautiful thing. I don't have to get scared when the preacher is talking about hell because you know what? I put my faith in Jesus. You see, the beauty is, do you really believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to forgive you of every single sin you have ever or will ever commit? You know how many people I talk to that they don't believe that God will forgive them because of X, Y, and Z sin? Jesus died a brutal, painful death for every sin that we've ever committed. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and because of that rising from the dead, he gives you hope? Not just in heaven, but a hope now. A hope that you can know him. A hope that you can walk with him. That you can have a relationship with him. Do you believe? See, and, that, and, and, and all of that, you're like, well, that applies over here. Listen, that applies to all of us in this room. But let me help you out, because if you're a Christian, do you really believe what the gospel says? Do you really believe what the gospel says about you? Do you really believe that you are a new creation? I know you don't feel like it all the time, but do you believe that? Do you really believe that you are God's ambassador? Let me explain that to you. Do you really believe that you are the one that God has called to represent him in this earth? Do you really believe that? Because when you believe those things, you act differently. You, 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 you respond differently to situations in life. When you really believe that you are a new creation, when you really believe that you have God's righteousness, when you really believe that you are a son or a daughter, you understand, I don't have to walk around with my head down because I have fallen short, but I can rejoice in him because while I fail, he never does. That's what Jesus does for us. And see, for us that are Christians, sometimes we, we, we forget how much we need the gospel for our daily lives. And so the question is, do you really believe? Stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads. Do you really believe? Do you really, truly believe the gospel? Hallelujah, Jesus. Now, just for a moment, I just want you to meditate. I want you to think about where you are with Jesus right now. And if you're a believer, you've put your faith in Christ, you confessed your sins, you've turned away from your sin, and you've trusted him, and you're in a good place. Maybe your issue is you just have problems believing what the gospel says about you. Today, I hope you were encouraged in your faith. If you're in this place, though, and you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you're in this place and you're not committed to Jesus, I want you to hear tomorrow's not promised to you. You've heard the message of the gospel today. If you don't know Jesus, Today is a day that you can put your faith in him. 
Today is the day you can believe what the Word of God teaches, that Jesus is the way, He is the truth, He is the light. The question is, will you respond in faith? Will you put your faith in Him? Hallelujah. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, today, God, I pray for every person in this place. God, I pray for those that are here. God, that have heard your gospel, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time clearly. Father, I pray that you would give them an uneasiness in their hearts. God, that they would recognize how desperately they need you. And I pray that they would turn from their sin and put their faith in you, God. I pray that they would turn from their own ways and trust in you, God. Father, and I pray for my brothers and sisters that are in this place. God, I know sometimes for me it's hard to believe the gospel, Lord God. Sometimes for me it's difficult for me to believe everything that you have said, Lord God, and the truth of your word. And so, God, I just pray for us, Lord God, that do believe and that have put our faith in you. Help us to grow in our faith, Lord God. Help us to die to our doubts, to our fears, Heavenly Father. Help us to die to those things, Lord Jesus, that hold us back from a full life with you. You came to give us life and life abundantly, God. Help us to understand that, dear Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would liberate from condemnation, that you would liberate my brothers and sisters from fears and from doubts. And I pray today, Lord God, that your spirit would fill them afresh, God. Father, may you be glorified in this place. And I pray this all in Jesus' mighty and good name. Someone said.